a little bit of a preamble to this episode. Um, I discuss incidents of genocide and ethnic cleansing that occurred at the end of the Ottoman Empire. I will put in the show notes where those occur um, so that you can skip ahead if you're uncomfortable with that information. And on to, uh, on to the show after that. everyone although you're probably not listening to this in the evening um quick programming note on this episode you'll hear a difference in sound quality and that is because i'm recording the first part of this at home and the second part will be when i'm gone and it will be on a a lapel mic that hopefully won't break this time because i'm gonna record another one of these episodes while i am uh gone but Interestingly enough, as I have mentioned before, both of my parents went to the University of Georgia at Athens. They actually didn't meet there. They met in an alumni party uh, a number of years later. But I have a, I've never been to Athens, and I've also never been to a uh, football game in Athens. And sort of that will change, um, because as you probably hear this, I am in Greece. <laughs> Um, both my parents are turning 70, so we are, we are there for their 70th birthday. We're doing a, uh, Islands Cruise in Greece. So I will be in the other Athens, um, and I will be going to a football game with my dad for a team in red. It's just not the dogs. Um, it will be, however, Olympiakos hosting Pauk. Um, and those are two of the biggest, uh, most historic teams in Greece, and they have a really heated rivalry. Um, so it's going to be an interesting game for uh, probably my dad's first game of European football, my first game in in Greece, given it's my first time in Greece, um, and it's going to be a interesting, interesting match and hopefully a good and heated match. But very, there's a lot of very college football in everything going on. So Olympiakos is the most successful club in Greek football, soccer. I'm going to use them interchangeably here. Um, I apologize. Uh, it should be noted that basketball is also really big in, uh, in Greece. Um, so if you follow basketball, you may actually know a couple of these names as well. Um, but Olympiakos has 47 wins of the Greek league. Their most recent was in the 21-22 season. That is most of any Greek club at, with the 47 league wins, 28 cup wins, most recent of 1920 also the uh, most of any club. They are generally 
um, in European competitions year in, year out. So Champions League, Europa League, um, they booted Arsenal out of a, the Europa League in 1920, um, which also their owner met the Arsenal head coach in the middle of the match, gave him COVID, and that led to a string of events that shut down English football um, in March of 2020. I was also in England at the time for work, um, which was interesting because the news was constantly like school shutting down because people went on uh, school holidays, places and caught it from people elsewhere. Uh, March 2020, a heck of a time to be abroad and a heck of a time to be uh, in Heathrow Airport trying to fly home. But (laughs) before I digress too too deeply into that, um, Olympiakos is based in Piraeus, that is the port of Athens. If you're from New York, think of it as Newark. If you're from LA, think of it as Long Beach. If you're from Chicago, think of it as the Southside Gary. Um, Athens has had a long history of being a commercial hub, and part of that is the port of Piraeus um, that is a major commercial hub throughout the Eastern Mediterranean has been going back centuries, and is still today. Um, Many of the richest people in Greece are people that own shipping companies, including the owner of Olympiakos, uh, Evangelos Marinakis, who I mentioned earlier for uh, (laughs) catching COVID and giving it to a a head coach, Uh, (laughs) who is a shipping and media uh, magnate. Uh, He also has some alleged ties to organized crime, which is uh, also a thing in Greek football. Um, If you want to go down some Wikipedia rabbit holes, Greek football ownership is a time. Um, He's also been accused of referee intimidation and accused of match fixing um, that he was acquitted for and that a number of teams were, uh, have been accused of being involved in, in Greek football. Um, but Olympiakos, as a result of being in the Port of Piraeus, has historically had a more working-class sport. Um, there are a couple other teams in Athens that represent different parts of the city, so Panathinaikos, um, I apologize, I am not a native Greek speaker, um, so if I mess up any, uh, any pronunciations, I am sorry, um, but they are more known as the more middle-class um, team in Athens. It is a very heated rivalry. It's known as the Derby of Eternal Enemies. Um, the last time they played, which was a couple weeks back, uh, the match was suspended in the middle of the match, and Olympiakos was given a loss because a firework made its way on the pitch and hit a player and and minorly injured the player. Um, the fact that fans are being allowed in the match that we are going to on on it'll be Sunday. Um, November 5th, so I will not make recording because time zones and, and that'll actually be probably when we're on our way back from the match. Um, but during that match, there was dispute of the, whether or not there would be fans allowed um, due to the league ruling that the next couple matches for Olympiacos, they were not supposed to have fans and there were going to be applied points deduction. That then got litigated in court. And so they are allowing fans in 
as it's going through a, an appeal process. Um, if you want more legal shenanigans than just the Pac-12, congrats. You're getting some. Um, but very much this rivalry has the vibes of a flagship versus a land grant um, with Olympiacos more more working class support being in the port city um, versus Panathiakos that is in the main city of Athens has historically had a more um, kind of middle class intellectual support. Um, there's a third club in Athens that's also typically very, very successful. That's um, AKA Athens. Um, and kind of the three Athens clubs are one, two, and three currently in the table. Um, Panathinaikos is one, Olympiakos is two, AK is three. So they're, they're, they're three of the most successful clubs in Athens. They all have very strong rivalries with each other. Um, and all three of them as well are a broader sporting club than just having the football club. So they have, they have the soccer, they have the football, um, they also all have basketball. Um, Olympiacos has won three Euro leagues in basketball. Um, they have a water polo team. Water polo is very successful. Um, that has similar levels of success of football club. They are incredibly successful and dominate Greece. Um, interesting note on water polo that is very popular. Um, George Koloftis, uh, Purdue, great at defensive end, now with Kansas City grew up playing water polo when he lived in Athens because um, he grew up in Athens and then later moved to uh, West Lafayette after his father died and his, his mom kind of moved back to her family that are from West Lafayette. Um, so he, there's an alternate world in which he uh, is a Greek Olympic water polo player because um, he was very successful and played for the youth teams. Um, they also have individual sports like track, and boxing. It's a total of 19 sports in total um, as a club for Olympiakos, which is very similar to athletic departments and colleges, um, and very notably, sports aren't really done through schools in Europe in the same way that they are in the U.S., so you're joining a sporting club like this, and they, yes, have a football club that generates a lot of revenue that, that's the most visible, but they do things beyond that, um, and in fact, to buy tickets, single-game tickets to the football club, you had to buy a $10, they call it a fan card, um, that all of the money from that then goes into supporting all the other teams. It's, again, very similar to a college program. Um, as mentioned in the beginning content warning, um, this is where I start going into discussions of genocide and ethnic cleansing. If you would like to skip ahead... Where I complete that discussion will be in the show notes. Thank you. And now we get to the other side of this this match. Um, Pauk, and I apologize again. I am not a native Greek speaker. Um, Pantha, Pan, Thessalonikios, Athenaxios, Omlios. Continent Polion. Okay. I limped my way through that. Um, Pan Thessalonian Athletic Club of Constantinopians is the English translation of that. And I said Constantinople in the middle of that. Um, which will surprise you when this club is 
in Thessaloniki, which is another Greek city. You may wonder why is there a club with Constantinople in the name? Well, there are actually a number of Greek clubs that have Constantinople in the name because of some events that occurred at the end of the Ottoman Empire. Um, so as the Ottoman Empire fell at the end of World War I, um, there were a number of refugees that left um, what is now Turkey and Anatolia of Greek descent to come to Greece. There has been, since antiquity, a Greek-speaking community in Anatolia, what they would refer to as Asia Minor. Um, if you think of Troy, Troy is in fact on that Aegean coast um, of Asia Minor, Anatolia. And where Greek identity typically comes from at that time was speaking the Greek language. The Greek world included parts of what is now Turkey. It included Sicily. Um, there were Greek colonies as far away as Spain. Um, but for a very, very long time, there have been Greek communities in Asia Minor, Anatolia. Um, when the Roman Empire split into a Western and Eastern Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire was centered in Constantinople. The Eastern Orthodox Church there as well, that was a major social force um, in Eastern Europe and in the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, and so there was a very large population of Greek speaking and people that would consider themselves Greek in that area and in Constantinople. You then had the growth of the Ottoman Empire that then conquers Constantinople, spreads throughout a large portion of Eastern Europe, the Balkans, eventually reaches Vienna, kind of settles back um, later, but kind of controls much of Balkans, Greece, the Middle East, Turkey. Greece then fights a war of independence in the 19th century. Greece becomes independent, but you still have major Greek communities in um, Anatolia and the Ottoman Empire. After World War I, when the Ottoman Empire falls apart, um, you had parts of Anatolia that were given to the Greek state. And you had the Turkish state believing that all of Anatolia should be under Turkish rule and believing that they were given a pretty raw deal, which they, in many ways, were almost entirely stripped of things like control of the Bosphorus Strait. You then had a massive war and a the settlement at the end of the war that kind of created the current borders of the modern Turkish state the modern Greek state um, ended with a population exchange of about 1.6 million people that were displaced. So that was many ethnically Greek um, people that were living in Turkey, as well as um, some other people that aren't eth weren't ethnically Greek, but were um, Eastern Orthodox moving from Anatolia to Greece. And then you know, many people that were um, Muslims that were living in Greece that then went to Turkey. That was a number of 1.6 million people that, ex that were displaced that excludes deaths 
from genocide and ethnic cleansing that occurred, occurred in the late um, Ottoman Empire, beginning of the Turkish state, as well as that, that Greco-Turkish war um, that included about 300,000 to 900,000 Greeks, about a million Armenians, 275,000 Syrians, 15,000 Turks, um, 400,000 Kurds that were killed, and another um, 700,000 that were displaced. So a massive amount of human trauma as post-World War II, or sorry, post-World War I, you had these modern states develop. You had developments in what would become the modern Turkish state of the idea of, well, we want to create a Turkish state and we want this to be a Turkish state and them trying to expel anyone that wasn't Turkish from Anatolia. Um, and absolutely, this was tragic. Many of the places that the Greeks that were expelled from Anatolia settled in were many of the bigger cities in Greece. So Thessaloniki and Athens. Um, and a lot of these people that had a community in Constantinople recreated a lot of their community bonds in the new places they settled. So they did things like found sports clubs, which is where Pauk comes from, or AK Athens. That's why the K is in there. That is the Constantinople, because they're, they're founded by people who were refugees from specifically Constantinople. Um, you also had um, cultural exchanges. You had things that were, foods that were developing in the 19th, early 20th century in the Ottoman Empire. Um, so things like shawarma that became dona in Turkey that became euro in Greece. These are all variations of a similar dish and they moved with people as they moved. Um, these many of the cities became much, much larger as half of these of the people that came to Greece um, settled in urban areas um, that impacted Greek politics pretty substantially. Um, and you'll kind of note through one of the through lines of a lot of the clubs that did end up being founded by, um, these refugees as they'll use the Byzantine uh, double eagle as an emblem. Um, but Pauk is another very successful club in Greece. They've won three league titles, uh, most recently in 2018-2019, eight cups, most recently in 2021-21. They are currently fourth in the table. Um, so these are, again, two of the most successful clubs in Greek football. They also represent two different regions. And there is very much a dividing Greece between a lot of the both political and cultural power being concentrated and economic power being concentrated in Athens compared to other parts of um, the country. You also have Athens is the largest city in Greece. Um, there are 600,000 people within technically city limits. There are 4.2 million in the metro area. Thessaloniki is the second largest city, um, 300,000 in the city, about 1 million in the metro. Um, so you very much have that. There's the one big city and then the second biggest city. It's New York, Chicago, uh, London, Birmingham, LA, San Francisco. A lot of these kind of 
the big city, the other city kinds of rivalries. Um, and also very specifically, Pauk believes that the Athens club have too much power in Greek football. This is sort of based on things that did happen in which in the twenties, the Athens clubs decided to just leave the Greek league, um, to hold their own competitions that they thought they could make more money in, um, and they could have more power over so that the three Athens clubs of, um, Olympiakos, Panathiakos, Panathiakos and AK. Um, they then rejoined and got major concessions, including they play against each other on around big holidays. Um, so they have got, you know, similar to they're the, the big rivals that play each other right after Thanksgiving. They have the equivalents of playing around Christmas time and uh, around Easter. Um, they also typically, the three Athens clubs in league organization will vote as a voting block. Um, and they hold substantial sway. They're also three of the ones that are most known outside Greece. Um, and they're the ones that are routinely in Champions League or Europa League. Um, so there is very much the dominant force versus less dominant force in a lot of ways that kind of create this rivalry. And, and Pauk is a very, very good, very successful club. They can absolutely stand up to the Athens club, but feel there is a little bit of... that there are, you know, the Athens club feel they're too too good for the rest of the league. Um, and Pauk can kind of, kind of stand up there. Um, very much a, a thing we see in kind of a lot of, of leagues at the college level. Um, which very much one of the things I, I very much love about soccer and love about college football is how rivalries work and digging into those as well as how, how passionate and heated they could be. And this rivalry and a lot of the other rivalries in Greece definitely feel very at home to me as someone that is a college football fan. Uh, less at home are some of the things that Greek football is very known for in terms of uh, fans using things like pyrotechnics as well as there are some problems with, with fi fan violence in, in Greece. Um, but match itself, it will be at 7.30 local um, on November the 5th or 12.30 Eastern. This will be out after uh, it's occurred. Um, and I will talk, I'll talk about my experiences at, uh, during it in the second part of this episode. Um, you also basically can't watch Greek League games in the U.S. on television or streaming. I have tried to find them, and you can't. So it's not like I'm saying, hey, you should watch this match, and you'll see me. I'm wearing a, this colored hat. No, you're, unfortunately, going to have problems finding it. If you if you uh, do VPN magic, uh, different story, but yeah. Um, but there are some table indications uh, for this match. Like I said, it is the team that's currently second in the table versus the team that's fourth. Um, Greek football has a very weird system in which the 14 um, teams in the league will play a first round, round robin, and they split into a top half and a bottom half. The top half decides the champion as well as any European um, places, and typically you have a, a couple of 
two or three clubs that qualify into European competition. Then that bottom half half round robin will determine who gets relegated into the um, second tier league in in Greece. There is pretty well. Um, like the Mountain West may soon have, um, and I love Prairie It is wonderful. Or at least I love it until my team gets relegated, and then it's still fun. Prairie Rail's fun. Um, but Olympiakos is said second the table. They've got 21 points. They're right behind um, Panathinaikos at 22 points. And I think I've said that name of that team different ways each time, and I apologize for the confusion. Um, so they are a point behind them and a point ahead of AEK Athens. Um, Pauk is right behind, is three points behind AEK with 17 points. Um, and then Lamia is fifth with 15. So Olympiakos with a win and a Panathiakos, um draw or loss could then go and get over them in the table, go first. Um, Pauk get up third with a win over Olympiakos and a loss by AEK. And it's a heated rivalry. There's bragging rights. There is that second city element. So I am looking forward to this match. It is one of the most passionate rivalries in, in Greek football. And I think it's going to be a great thing to watch. So let's see how it goes. And we will cut to future Jeff, uh, hopefully over jet lag by the time he goes to this match and then figures out when to record it. And uh, he will tell you how that match went and probably some other fun about uh, enjoying some Greek life in Athens with his uh, parents. Yeah, so everyone, it is Jeff. I have just gotten back from uh, Olympiacing to Pauk 4-2 in Athens, I will say. Incredible experience at Gate 7. That's the, the supporters group was up and loud the full 90 minutes. Uh, if you could check the Instagram, they, they did the much advertised in Greek football uh, pyro at the 70th minute that uh, was certainly a time. Um, I was with my dad and my stepmom and uh, Carly, and I don't think we had entirely warned my dad and my stepmom that the pyros were happening. And uh, they were very, very into it. The match itself... Um, I was like, Olympiacos has one of the has a very passionate fan base. They definitely showed that. Um, there was a lot of laser pointers, <laughs> and they the intercom had to multiple multiple times go and uh, say to not use the lasers. And laser was about the only word of Greek in the announcement I understood, but uh, could figure it out. Um, and that's kind of a lot of places you do have that sort of crowd interaction. It's probably very, it's very unsafe, very frowned upon, but um, certainly is part of the experience along with things like pyros that do have a little bit of a reputation, um, but are, are certainly a sight to see. Um, and match itself, Olympiakos played a very good first half, um, allowed a, a goal and a counterattack, and then things kind of fell apart with a kind of reckless challenge that gave um, Pauk penalty and some really big defensive mistakes that put them in a 4-2 bind. Uh, Olympiakos came back um, with two very late goals. Both were um, after the 80th minute, yep, 86 for 
um, Fortunus and Mazaras in the uh, 90 plus 8 stoppage. There was quite a bit of stoppage for uh, some fan interaction. I'll say the aforementioned laser pointers, uh, some things ended up on the pitch. There was quite a bit of chippiness throughout the match as well. These are big rivals as well as it was a pretty physical match, so um, some players to be separated at various times. But uh, I will say, Fortunus was excellent for Olympiacos, um, really creating things both with passing and dribbling. Um, and yeah, it was some, some high-quality soccer, although it's you've got your universal elements of rivalry, uh, as we talked about in the first half of this recording, as well as the... Uh, universals of being mad that guys don't shoot and look for a pass when there's an obvious shooting opportunity. Uh, fans everywhere, fans everywhere, where there are plenty of surrender cobras um, throughout. All in all, a uh, fun experience. Um, snackage. We ate a very large amount of souvlaki before the game, so we didn't get much snackage. But uh, what I observed, there were a lot of sunflower seeds. There was somebody, as you, you walked in, you could pay a euro for a, a bag of sunflower seeds. I think there were people passing around popcorn um, throughout the stands as well. Um, there's pretty universally uh, hot dogs, sausage sandwiches. There are also uh, some souvlaki you could get in the stadium as well. Um, I think some people had... It looked to be like a Euro sandwich on bread that looked uh, pretty delicious. So, um, yeah, all in all, a really, really great experience. And it it really felt, you felt that passion that you feel in a big, big college rivalry. I think one thing that Olympiacos and a lot of other soccer stadiums ha- do very well is you have a overhang that typically prevents or protects fans from the elements, either... Uh, providing them shade or keeping them out from the rain, and that traps sound in. So, so gate seven, that's the the supporters um, section. They were absolutely loud, and and that was reflecting back um, into the field of play, and that made a big difference. Um, <laughs> they also had very clear, clearly though, you could see kind of reputationally what a lot of these supporters groups are where there had to be netting around the around the groups partially because at various points uh, when when Pauk was up ahead and and scoring uh, some folks threw some some water glass or uh, water cups in into there and they just bounced off the netting um, and you also had a really big contingent of security um, mm-hmm. and stewards around that section as well as kind of fencing in and, and that can get a little dicey at times, um, but it's a passionate, passionate group of supporters there, and that really, really made the match, and they definitely drove the whole stadium. It's, it's very similar to kind of how a student section will be a major generator of cheers that then the rest of the, the stands participate in, and that wasn't really happening. There's some back and forth between the two end zone areas of, of chanting as well, people joining in, chanting where we were, which was... Um, around the 50-yard line. Um, but yeah, it was a really great experience. I kind of encourage anyone, if you're traveling to see some sort of sporting event, whether that's if you're in the U.S. and it's it's football or college football or baseball, minor league baseball is always a, a fun time in, in the variety of stadiums, or if you're outside the U.S., whether that's soccer um, in a lot of places or, or other sports, um, depending on where you are, or cricket, rugby, hockey, um, 
you name it in a lot of the different places, it, it very much is showing off the culture of the area as well as it's, it's good to kind of, as you're traveling, experience the world that people live in and sports are part of the world that people around the world live in and it's just slightly different in, in the different places, but there's a lot in common. I think that's one thing that I greatly enjoy is you can see some of the seeds of uh, the the very different kind of football. We play a little bit more in the U.S. in in football around the world. It's a different rule set, but at the same time feels familiar and shares a lot in common. So, yeah, I'm going to leave you for that. And uh, I don't know if Traveling Companion uh, Carly has, has anything to say since she is now s- sitting next to me on this bed as I do this match review. Hold on, can I get a, a harumph? Harumph. And, and that is Carly's take on this. But uh, yeah, and uh, don't forget to feed your mascot. Lots and lots of souvlaki and baklava. So much souvlaki and baklava and yogurt with honey. The Instagram, I am putting many of the foods that I am enjoying. And uh, yeah, just sharing, sharing a little bit of that deliciousness. Thank you all, and have a uh, wonderful night.